0: what up welcome to another episode of the dealer talk podcast this is your host herb anderson thank you so much for tuning in in today's session we're talking to none other than mr george Arendt, and we're talking about the tech shortage now i personally have had this conversation a hundred different ways uh this year i know this is a topic that's top of mind for a lot of us in the industry. And uh, I got to say, man, the perspective, the knowledge, uh, the information covered on this session is extremely valuable. And um, I think that you're going to have a lot of takeaways if that's one of the topics that you've been... uh, uh discussing this year and um, if it's one of those things that's kind of top of mind for you right as far as uh, strategies as far as what to do um how to prepare for the future so definitely tune in be ready to take some notes um also if you haven't done so please please make sure to share this episode share this podcast with somebody that can benefit from this information so that they can take it back to the dealership and implement in their day-to-day All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Let's check it out. And welcome back to another episode of the Dealer Talk Podcast. This is your host, Herb Anderson. Uh, today we have an amazing conversation. We're going to be covering a topic that's kind of in line with uh, some of the stuff that we've been covering this season, uh, which is on the fixed operation side of things. We have a great guest that's going to bring a lot of insights. You know, I had a conversation with him before we we kind of uh, put this deal together and he really uh, opened up my eyes to some information that I I wasn't really aware of and so I'm very excited to be able to share that on this platform get his take and his perspective on things Um, and it's gonna be a great session so um, if you're looking uh, if you're looking at the fixed ops side of of the business you definitely want to make sure you have some pen and paper and, and you're ready to take some notes in this deal so, without further ado, the guest that we have for today is Mr. George Ahrens. Did I say that right, George? That's correct. All right. Uh, hey, man, welcome to the show. I'm super excited. That, um, You know, our conversation that we had a few days ago um, was really eye-opening for me, and I'm just I'm, I'm stoked that you're on the show and that we're able to share this uh, with our audience. So, welcome. Thank you. Um, so, first first question I, I, I start things off with is, um, could you give us a little recap of your background just so, for the audience so we can ex- establish your experience?
1: Um, <clears throat> most of my career in the automotive industry, I also taught for a few years at the high school and college level. I've spent nearly 20 something years working with uh, auto collision and truck programs, especially auto programs across the country to help them earn a national accreditation through ASE, which used to be called NATEF and now ASE. I was also involved in the early days of the Automotive Youth Education System's AYES initiative, which allowed students to intern in car dealerships in the summer between their junior and senior year, do some consulting work with schools, and then work part-time for the ASE Education Foundation to drive a medium heavy-duty truck initiative. So that's a little bit about me.
0: Right on, man. It's, it's so in line with what we're going to talk about today, too, right? So, um, you know, just to kind of start things out with the 50,000 views. So the the, the topic in question for today is going to be the, the technician shortage, right, or so-called technician sh- shortage. Right. I've learned a lot about that um, the past couple of days. So just 50,000 view, man, how do you see things? I mean, is it, is, are they as bad as they're, they're, it's made out to be or, or uh, you know, what's your perspective?
1: So here's the way I start with most conversations. I ask employers, do you have a shortage of applicants or do you have a shortage of qualified applicants? And nearly 90% of employers will say qualified applicants. Those are two different problems. The shortage of qualified applicants means we have people interested in the industry, but for one reason or another, they're not making it through the interview process or they're not being retained in the workplace. And then as part of that, when we talk about, it's the shortage of qualified applicants, I always ask employers, are you involved in your local auto collision or truck programs? and through advisory committees and others. And most of them will say no, and I tell them, then you're part of the problem. Problem. Right, because schools are going to teach what they believe is important, and if industry does not come in and tell them what is important to them, and when I say industry, Anybody who's listening to this call today that owns their own business is both a personal and professional taxpayer in their community or their county. And if you're not letting the school know what's important to you, you're allowing them to use your tax dollars any way they see, see fit. And if they're not able to provide you with the workforce that you need, nothing's going to change.
0: So is that is that um, how, like, funding gets allocated in in certain areas is based on, on, you know, that's quote-unquote demand that these business owners are are, uh, creating?
1: No. Or or interest, rather? No. Funding is local, state, and federal level for programs. But everybody pays taxes to their local school districts or community college and part of that money should go to maintain those programs in their community whether it's an auto collision or truck but if you are an employer looking for technicians especially entry level then if you're not involved in the advisory committee or influencing some of the decisions in those programs you're allowing other people to make decisions on how those funds are allocated. More importantly, making purchases of potentially tools and equipment that really aren't relevant to the skill sets that you need in your place of business. Then we have to step back for a second and many employers are still seeking experienced technicians. And let's be honest, the only experienced technicians out there, why are they out there in the first place? And we need to remember that. And is that somebody that is truly going to match with your current shop culture, or is that bringing that person in place actually going to cause uh, uh, a little bit of discontent in that workplace? Um, Technicians that are normally happy where they are and are treated properly, are not out looking for a job, especially the younger generation. Uh, Many of us believe it's all about the money. um, And it is for us that are the baby boomers. But for this generation, it's more about feeling like they're part of the family. They're appreciated Mm -hmm. for the job they do. And this generation, uh, when you ask them to work extra, what do they ask for in return? They ask for comp time, they want their time back. So we as baby boomers, we live to work. This generation works to live and maybe they got it right. And if we don't understand what's important to them, sometimes, um we push them away from our companies and organizations. I hope that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And there, it, it obviously it brings me to to two kind of uh, questions that I want to pose. One is going back to what you talked about earlier, as far as the funding and and all, all that. Like, what can a what can a decision maker at a dealership or what should what should the industry at the local level be doing in order to, um, you know. Um, like you said, make sure they get the, quali- the the qualified applicants.
1: So if you're involved in your local program through an advisory committee, which they, the program should have two of those a year, if they're going to be spending that budget money, you wanna have some input into what they're purchasing because it may not be something that the program truly needs to train um, young people. It may be something that's antiquated, outdated, or not relevant anymore, and you want to have input. But also, if some of these fun programs are underfunded by you as business and industry being involved, you have the opportunity to let the school administration know at multiple levels that that this program isn't po- properly funded and without the proper funding of the program, it's going to be difficult or impossible for the instructor to provide these students with the skill sets and the hands-on experience that they need because they don't have the right tools and equipment or support material to even get through what the state may require or mandate in these programs. And I hope that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I definitely wanted to cover that so that we can leave the audience with some some actionable steps that they can take, right? You bet. Uh, the other question that comes to mind is what should the dealerships be doing internally, right? And I think you, you, you brought up a really good point and it's the shift in generation, right? So I think that that's important to understand and make sure that there's um, uh, a sort of Different approaches, right? Sure. Um, but um, at this juncture, right? Because for me, like, like I said before, you and I connected, and, and you kind of opened my eyes to to the reality of of things. I. I'm, I'm thinking that this is, this is a big, big issue. Like I feel like we're almost past the point where it's, it's it, where we can actually fix it. Um, you know what I mean? Like I really feel like that, the 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 we're going to have an issue as far as, rec- you know, uh, getting technicians. Um, and so what, what should the dealers be doing internally within their own, place of business in order to, um, you know, uh, make sure that they have the right people, they, that they're farming them and doing all the things to to uh, set themselves up. So that's a
1: great question. The first thing that uh, any dealer principal or parts and service director should do is look out at his uh, shop facility. And is it a facility that is ready to take on an entry level technician with a mentor? Or is that shop environment caustic enough that if you brought a young person into the workplace that they would be chewed up and spit out? And the, the the example I use for most people, if you can't see your children or grandchildren working in that shop, neither can anybody else. And the first thing you have to do is, is look at look at your place and is it something that is conducive to bringing young individuals and nurturing them into your place of business? Now, many of us, we grew up in the industry, you either sank or swim and tough luck. Well, That's not the way it is these days. We need to make sure that there is somebody in that shop that is mentoring that individual to onboard them into your company and shop culture so that there is an opportunity for success. We just can't feed them um, and expect them to be productive on the first day. And it, most people listening to this were not productive on the first day of the job Why would we Mm -hmm. expect it of these young people? And the problem is we do. We expect them to be productive and revenue generating on the first day. And that's not realistic. So we have to figure out what is it going to take to bring that person from a student to an entry level employee to somebody who is brought into our culture and then could be moved on uh, to be a revenue generating technician. And if we don't do that, we eat our young and what I mean by that is a survey that ASE has done we lose 42 percent of these young people in the first two years and it's it's because of the things that we're not doing internally and these young people of that 42 percent 18 are going on the other technical trades so they're staying in the skilled area but 14% are going on to retail food sales, which screams McDonald's to me. So we need to understand that if education has provided us with a product, it's our role and responsibility to move these young people into the workplace and make them feel like they're part of our organization and family and not just expect them to be revenue generating from day one. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So have that that um, you know that growth path, that that career path rather, right? Where where the employee feels that you know that they can that there are steps that they can achieve and and get to that next level.
1: And that's a good point. And we really don't need to use the word careers because that's long term. Short term goals. In six months, if you do this, this and this and get this many certifications or this many manufacturer's courses out of the way, we move you to here. In nine months, if you do this, this and this, you know, everything you would do would be in in an 18 month to two year period. Those things that are measurable outcomes that has carrots and sticks associated with it. Short term, things that they can deal with and they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Those are the things we need to be focusing on.
0: George, I'm gonna ask you this question and maybe, I don't wanna say controversial, but, and and I know that there's no way for you to have the actual answer, but just in your
1: experience,
0: right? Yep. Um, Are we paying technicians correctly in the industry as a whole?
1: Nope. So here's what it is, is for some reason on the automotive side, which is where I came from, um, we're still looking at a low hourly rate and if they are taking on an intern or a young person and paying them hourly and not flat rate, we're holding that against the p of the parts and service director um, to develop this individual, which that's wrong in itself. Um, the medium heavy duty truck industry um, has recognized what the automotive industry is doing and they are attracting away your talent into their industry because they're willing to pay them at a different scale and other um, things that they offer as part of a condition of employment and where there is a large pool of automotive Candidates, we're finding that uh, many of those are moving on to those industries that are willing to at least pay them a reasonable starting wage. And if if you're a dealer in your community, you know what the local fast food places are paying and all the other stuff. And some people throw back at me, well, that's not really a career track. Well, this generation is not looking at career track. They're looking at short-term, obligations and opportunities and can they afford to sustain a basic quality of life and if that pay scale does not do that then they're going to find somebody who can.
0: So I I like what you're saying there because I I had somebody recently on the show and we were talking about um, you know uh, some of the ways that, that, that the gas Thought that they could retain or, or maybe entice more more technicians, and you really pushed for this four ten model. Which um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of stores switch over to that. Yeah, um, sure have. And it and it works, but the, the, once it's in place, the, the the transition part seems to be a nightmare. Agreed. Um, So do do you agree with that? Do you think that that may be a a short-term answer uh, for this this situation?
1: It's both a short-term and a long-term. Once again, in this generation, they work to live. Their personal time is important to them. And where I live um, in Texas, you know, some of the petrochemical plants, they work 410s also. That three-day weekend... Uh, gives people the opportunity to recharge and do things. Um, And it's very attractive uh, because other industries have already implemented. All we're looking now as an auto industry is how do we implement that component into our workforce but still maintain the quality of service to our customers and take care of the number of service hours that were open and there is that transition piece that's difficult there. But that is a very important piece to um, folks today. They they want their time.
0: Yeah. I uh, Like I said, I mean, I've seen some stores struggle with it in the beginning. But once they get it down, man, it seems to really, really work. That- yeah. Yeah, not just and that, not just wonders for the technician in, in itself, but it just culturally, I think that it has a, it has a positive impact as well.
1: It, it's huge. Um, but the question I would have to all of the dealers listening: Do you actually know what it costs to put a technician on the shop floor first day? And what I mean by, from the time you decide you need a technician and all the steps that you do and all the advertising that you do and all the people that touch either the application, the drug test, the background, all of that stuff, everybody to the point of that person's on the shop floor, do you know what it costs you? If you did, you would do things a little bit differently especially if you have a fairly high turnover rate. And I know that on the truck side, some of the fleets know what that number is. And it's somewhere between seven and $9,000 to put a technician on the showroom floor, or I mean on the shop floor, because of everything that's involved in that process. And if you have a 10 or 20% turnover, you look at the number of technicians you have to rehire each year and understand that expense that you're going through, you're going to make changes in process, procedure, policies, and other things to reduce that cost. And some people call it a hard cost. Some people call it a soft cost. But if you don't even know what it is, you don't know what it's costing you and your organization.
0: Yeah, I know for sure. So is that is that an actual... Um... Um, average nine uh, seven to nine grand?
1: Uh, some of the fleets that I've talked to, and I'm not going to mention any names over the years through my involvement on the truck side, they know that number. And that's a solid number. And wow. when, when people finally look at how many people it takes, let me ask you this. Just look at how many people in a dealership or a company it takes to authorize a check or to implement a purchase order. That would scare you to death also. But knowing everything and everybody and all the people that get interviewed to make one hiring decision of one individual, that cost is staggering. Wow. We never think about it.
0: No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I think, you know, especially for for the decision makers at the dealership, right, because that's one of the things, that's one of their guiding principles is cost. And then, you know, how much money they can save and how much, you know. So. understanding that number.
1: Right, the other thing that most people don't take into an account is what happens when a technician leaves your dealership. What Mm -hmm. does that do to the morale of the rest of the people? And if you honestly believe that technicians leave for 25 cents more an hour, I've got a bridge for sale. We've been telling you that for four decades and you still believe it. If you've never picked up a toolbox and moved it from one location to the other, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. But making a decision to leave a company festers inside of people for a while. And what it says when somebody leaves your company is they're more willing to go to an unknown, that new job that they know nothing about or what they're up against, than stay in your place of business. Think about that. Wow.
0: Yeah, man, that's, that's wow, yeah.
1: Right. Um, And and in our education system, as we talked about, we have a large number of students taking automotive programs in our country. And when I say large, I can validate that last year we had nearly 132,000 automotive students alone in schools. We graduate nearly 45,000 automotive students a year at post-secondary schools. That's community colleges, that's technical schools, that's private for profits, private nonprofits, that's all after high school. That's a big number. Last year in Texas alone where I live at the high school level, we could validate that there was 11,620 automotive students in high school programs. Even if half of those kids showed up in the workplace, we wouldn't be having this conversation today.
0: Yep. So and how you know, is there a place like where can is there a resource that, that that we can mention here that people can look at just in case? I mean, I'm sure that, you know, if you're paying attention you're you're you know, but if for those that that are looking or, or want want to get some additional resources? Is there a place where they can go check these numbers out? Well,
1: and, and what I did is one of the companies, they're called SP2, their safety and environmental training. Their website is sp2.org. They do safety and environmental training for auto collision, for truck, a lot of occupations. And many of the schools around the country use them as their third party credential for safety and environmental training they're not in every school in the country but they're in in a large number the gentleman who owns the company is a friend of mine and i asked him to query all of the schools and come up with the numbers that's where i got the numbers last year and around this time last year for auto collision and truck we were over 162,000 total. And by the end of the year, we were at over 200,000. So that's where I got my numbers, physical students in class, taking safety and environmental training and auto collision or truck programs. That's where I came up with the number. So those were true butts in seats.
0: Yeah, wow, that's, that's pretty good information, man.
1: Um, all right. So,
0: kind of switching gears a little bit, I wanted to kind of uh, get your perspective on the training side of things, um, and I, I, and we're going to tie this into a much larger concept here in a minute. But let's start with at the at the dealership level. Sure. Um, with the with the I don't know if, if advancement in technology if you will of the vehicles right so what I mean by that is that you know obviously to work on a vehicle you have to be a lot more prepared than than ever before right because there's just so much that goes into it even at the at the at the basic models Correct. <laughs> excuse me Right. Uh, Do you think the dealerships are providing enough training um, post hire? Right. Like once they have a technician in, 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 you know, in their in their dealerships working, do you think that we're doing a good job at at training? Um, How does that play into morale or or keeping that that tech there? Um, Like what are your thoughts on that?
1: I believe the good ones are and they're required by their manufacturer to do that. You know so many hours but one of some of the things that the manufacturers are doing now on both the auto and truck side is they're opening up their training to instructors and in schools their online training so if you've got a local school where those students could be taking either online ford or toyota or gm or whatever classes now all of a sudden you've got young people that even before they're even considering moving into the workforce, are taking these courses, getting these certifications, and this is a this is a green flag that raises for you guys as dealers to go, wait a minute, over here at this high school, we got eight kids that have taken 20 of our courses already. Don't you think we should go over and talk to them? The other thing is, is part of the interview process, nobody talks about the training that they're going to provide these young people once they get on board. And that's a huge benefit. And you're cutting yourself short by not letting these young people know that we are going to allow you to go to online training. And then we're going to send you to -to face-to-face hands-on training and these things like that. So most of the dealers do do a great job on training. We just don't sometimes do a good job of opening that training up to while they're in school to bringing them to our brand that that, that student is comfortable with. And let's be honest, we all have the brand that we like. And if we can get training in that brand while we're in school, what do you think we're gonna navigate to in employment? that brand yeah
0: no that makes perfect sense and i love what you just said about um you know making uh, like making that a part of the of kind of the the benefits right making that yep. part of that conversation initially and let them know that um you know this is you know it's not just the the pay and the the vacation and all this stuff it's the it's what we're going to do for your professional growth once you're here that's correct yep so i i love that i love that Um uh, yep. so Um, tying that into a bigger picture, which is the OEM side of things. Um, And obviously I don't want to name names, but I mean, how do you see that playing in as far as restrictions? Do you think that the OEMs are, are kind of restricting, um, the advancement of certain technicians because of their what they you know the kind of certification and the processes that, that they have in place to make sure that, that technicians are quote unquote prepared, um, or do you think that the way that it's set up currently um, on the OEM side of things is, is works so, if we do everything else that we've kind of talked about?
1: So if we talk about the OEMs at the corporate level, they're doing a lot, and some of them more than others, but they're all doing a lot to provide the opportunities for their dealers. Many of them are trying to teach their dealers how to fish. And what I mean by that is they're providing all of these resources to the dealers. It's just a matter if the dealer is willing to get involved in their local program and utilize those resources or offer those resources to the school, them to know who they are it's brand awareness if you're not in the school visiting these students and all you're going to do is show up at, on career fair day you're just another company with a bunch of useless trinkets with a with a drape over a wooden table along with 39 other people that the sto- students don't know who you are But if you're involved in that program and make appearances, or more importantly, invite the school and the students out to visit your facility, the manufacturers are providing the dealers with the resource. It's whether the dealers are taking advantage of those resources or continue to do what they've always done. And As we know, they're going to continue to get what they've always got. And Some of the dealers that are doing these things and internships and stuff, they're not on these podcasts because they don't have those problems. It's the ones that sometimes are not moving the needle and have not moved with the changes in education and in the changes in the generations and the people that we're eventually looking to hire to grow in our businesses, and I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, I love that. That's that's. I, I think that, that that sums it up really, really nicely. Um, All right, so we're getting close to that time. Um, I do have one last question that I ask everybody that comes on the show, but before we do that, I want to give you a time or a moment to talk about – you know, how can you help? What can you do? What do you recommend? Um, how can people get in touch with you? Do you have any, any speaking engagements coming up? Is there any way that, um, you know, do you feel comfortable with people reaching out to you on phone, LinkedIn? Like, let us know how we can get in touch with you. Let us know what you offer, you know. Um,
1: and, and, anyway, I, I'm, I'm in Ohio today and I spoke to nearly a hundred educators on how to develop effective advisory committees and how to get industry involved in their program and how to look at it from an industry perspective. What I tell people is we have a national concern with a local solution. And the solution is simple, get involved. If you're not involved, you're part of the problem and you're gonna continue to be part of the problem. Those companies and those dealers that are involved, once again, They know how to create their workforce with their local markets. And you want to be able to keep the local talent local. If those kids leave these local high schools and go away to school, the chances of them coming back are slim and none. So use the resources in your community and take that local talent, grow it, and then give them an opportunity to know who you are as a business person in the community, but as a viable, positive workplace. Hope that makes sense.
0: Yes, sir. And um, as far as people reaching out to you, like um, how can they how can they connect with you?
1: Email, cell phone, LinkedIn, whatever they feel comfortable doing. I'm a pretty easy guy. It's, right on. Not, so it's we're, not hard to get a hold of me, believe me.
0: So can we put it on the show notes for people to check sure. it out? And, sure. All right, so... Um, everybody tuning in uh, make sure to go to the show notes and we'll put all of George's contact information in there so you can um, reach out if you if you want to talk further or if you have any issues that you want to you know get some 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 of his perspective on things Uh, all right so the last question I ask everybody that comes on the show is where do you see the automotive industry headed in the next five years and why
1: so um, the emphasis on career and technical education, which used to be called vocational education, is very high in this country. Everybody has woken up. I think uh, Micro has done a great job of uh, of, of promoting. the the skills and the trades, and he says it best. You know, the last four decades, we've done a great job sending everybody to four-year university, but we've not done a good job of training the future workforce that's gonna maintain the infrastructure of our country. The jobs that we have and the careers that we have, they can't be outsourced. So education is moving in that direction, and we see more and more programs opening around the country based on local industry influence. And as those programs open, more students we're finding are, are migrating to those programs. It's our job to take them from student, to show them the opportunities in our place of business, and then find a way to onboard them into our company cultures and make them productive employees into our organizations that's what we have to do the numbers support that we've got the interest what we have to do is take that interest and make sure we seal all the leaks in the pipe so a high percentage of them make it from education to the workplace permanent full-time employees that's it it's not rocket
0: science right on right on folks there you have it um george thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it i think this is A great, great session filled with some uh, insight bombs for sure. Um, Everybody tuning in, make sure to go to the show notes. If you want to get in touch with George, his information is going to be on there. Thank you for tuning in. That's all we got for today. And as usual, we'll talk later. made it all the way to the end. Congratulations. Thank you so much for tuning in. We truly, truly appreciate it. If you like this episode and you think of somebody that can benefit from this information, please make sure to share it, share this podcast so that they can take these insights back to the dealership and implement on their day to day. Thank you so much. And as usual, we'll talk
1: later.